So uh, it's two chapters, only takes a few minutes to read. I would recommend that you read that as we go through this study. In fact, I would recommend that you read it more than once and just become familiar with the book. And also, there is a, if you have the YouVersion Bible app, and, you know, we've talked before about Bible plans that we can, you know, you know, read through the Bible or read on different topics. There is a Bible plan called The Time Is Now, and you'll see that uh, graphic on it. If you just do a search in your YouVersion app, The Time Is Now, it's, uh, it's about a 14-15 day uh, uh, reading plan. Uh, I would recommend going through that as well. I've done it a number of times. And it really uh, is, I, th I think, is helpful. In fact, the book of Haggai is, is uh, a book that, I mean, I've read through the Bible a number of times. And, you know, sometimes you get to a book and you just kind of go through it. And, yeah, that was good. So there was a few good things in there and, and that. Um, it was really just uh, uh, last two, three years that I started really looking at the book of Haggai and, and, and what its message is. Um, started with a conversation I had with my pastor, uh, Steve Psalms, who just passed away earlier this year. Um, and uh, that conversation sparked something in me, and I began spending a lot of time in this book over the last couple of years. And as I did, I began to realize that this rather obscure minor prophet from the 6th century B.C., had a message that's as relevant and as applicable to us as the news in today's media. It is that relevant to us. You know, sometimes we reach a point in our lives where things aren't going the way we think they should. We're not in the place in our life that we think we should be at this point. You know, maybe you're, in, in, you're going to school and your, your friends all know what, exactly what they want to do, but you haven't declared your major yet and, and you're getting in, you know, upper levels because you, you, you just really don't know what you want to do yet. When I, went to, when I went here to IU, I had no idea what I was going to be doing with my life. I thought I was going to be an accountant. That's a laugh. Um, but I really had, I really had no idea. Um, you know, where it could be that you thought by the time you reached a certain age, you'd be much farther along in a career, you know, and with, with more benefits and, and things going good for you, you know, that way. But instead, you still don't have a career, you have a job. You have a job, but it's not a career. And you don't have the salary or benefits that you thought you'd have. You're just putting in your time, punching the clock, in and out of work, um, and you're not happy with it. Or maybe you thought by the time you reached a certain age, you'd certainly have gotten married and started a family, but things haven't worked out that way, and, and you know, all kinds of things. We have these plans for our life. We, th we think we're going somewhere, and it, as it turns out, we're, you know, we wake up one day and realize what's going on. We're not, we're not where we thought we would be. Because what? Midlife crisis, that could be f very, very well fit into it. Sometimes we, you know, wake up, you know, one day and it's like, hey, you know, I'm at this age and I should be here, I should be doing this, and, and I'm not. Well, the Jews during the 6th century B.C., during the time of Haggai's ministry, were kind of in a similar spot. They thought they'd be in a much similar situation than they were 
than, than they were in by that time as well. Now, we're talking about an Old Testament book that, how, how many would say they're really familiar with Haggai the prophet and what all was going on at the time with the Jews and that? Raise your hand. Anybody? Okay, we want to help you out because part of understanding the message, part of understanding as we read the Bible is understanding the backstory, understanding the, you know, what was going on at the time, what their situation was. So we've got a video from this thing called the Bible Project. And if you've never looked that up, Google it sometime, thebibleproject.com. They've got all kinds of helpful videos to introduce different books of the Bible to you, tell you what they're about, and and different things, but we've got one here that um, does a really good job of summing up the book of Haggai, summing up, you know, setting the stage for it, and then telling what's going on. It's about five minutes long, but we're going to go ahead and take a look at it this morning. So let's, let's play the video, see what's going on with the book of Haggai. The book of the prophet Haggai. It's one of the smaller prophetic books, but crucially important in the overall story of the Hebrew Bible. So for centuries, the Hebrew prophets had been accusing Israel of breaking their covenant with God through idolatry and injustice, and they warned that God would send the great empire of Babylon to take out Jerusalem, destroy the temple, and haul off the people into exile. And it all happened in the year 587 BC. But that wasn't the end of the story. The prophets also believed that there was still hope and that God would one day bring back a transformed remnant of his people Israel to live in a new Jerusalem where God's presence would live in their midst. Now when we turn to Haggai, the year is 520 BC, nearly 70 years after the exile. And the Babylonian empire has recently collapsed and the world is now ruled by the Persians. Now they allowed the return of any exiled Israelites who wanted to go back to Jerusalem, which still lay in ruins. And so under the leadership of a high priest named Joshua and Zerubbabel, an heir from the line of David, and a group of exiles, they all returned and began to rebuild the city and their lives. Remember the story from the book of Ezra chapters 1 to 6. So our hopes are high and the future seems very bright, but it's not actually, at least from Haggai's point of view. The book consists of four sections that summarize Haggai's message given to the people of Jerusalem over the course of four months. He opens by accusing the people of misplaced priorities. And so yes, they have come back to Jerusalem, but they're spending all of their time and resources rebuilding their own fancy houses, while the temple still lay in ruins from its destruction from 70 years ago. So Haggai asks, are your own houses really more important than your allegiance to God? This neglect, Haggai says, is tantamount to the covenant rebellion of their ancestors, which is why the land is still unproductive, why they've been struck with famine and drought. And here Haggai's quoting from the list of covenant curses in the book of Deuteronomy. And so Haggai's challenging words, they're followed by a story of the people's response. Remember also the story in Ezra chapter 5. We're told that Zerubbabel, Joshua, the remnant of the people were provoked by Haggai's message and they were motivated. They started rebuilding the temple. So in the next section, Haggai follows up one month later and he addresses some problems of shattered expectations among the people. 
So the temple that they're rebuilding is really pretty unimpressive. It's nothing compared to the glory of the temple Solomon built here some 500 years earlier. And so morale was really low for finishing the project. And so Haggai reminds the people of the great prophetic promises of the future kingdom of God and about this temple. He draws from the earlier prophets, especially Isaiah and Micah, about the new Jerusalem and that it would be the place from which God would redeem the whole world and where all nations would come and participate in God's kingdom, resulting in an era of peace. And so the temple, it plays a key role in God's plans for the future. And Haggai calls on the people to work in hope despite the disappointing circumstances. In the third section, Haggai follows up two months later with a call to covenant faithfulness. And he engages some priests in a conversation about ritual purity. Remember all the key ideas from the book of Leviticus. So he says, if someone goes and touches a dead body and becomes ritually impure or marked by death, and then they go and touch some food, is that food impure too? And the priests, knowing the book of Leviticus, say, yes, it's impure. And then Haggai turns this into a parable. He says, this is how it is with the people of Israel and what they're putting their hands to in rebuilding the temple. If the current generation doesn't humble themselves, if they don't turn from injustice and apathy, then Haggai says whatever they build with their hands, including this new temple, will be impure too. Haggai's challenge is that it's only by true repentance and covenant faithfulness that their building efforts will result in God bringing his kingdom and blessing. And so in a sense, Israel's future lay in their hands. God's waiting for his people to be faithful. And so the choice that Haggai's laying before the exiled generation, it's very similar to the challenge Moses gave the wilderness generation before entering the land. Their obedience will lead to blessing and success while faithlessness will lead to ruin. The book concludes with Haggai's summary of the future hope of God's kingdom. He's going to make the new Jerusalem the center of his glorious international kingdom. And from there, he will confront and defeat evil among the nations. He reminds people of the defeat of Pharaoh's army in the Exodus story. God will fulfill here his promise to David and establish the king from his line. And in Haggai's day, that was represented by Zerubbabel. And so the book ends with the choice of a bright future just hanging there. So the question is, will Haggai's generation be faithful to God? Will they experience the fulfillment of all these promises? And Zerubbabel, will he be faithful? Will he turn out to be the Messianic king? And you have to just keep reading into the final two books of the prophets, Zechariah and Malachi, to find out. But you can see how this little book contains a great challenge to every generation of God's people, that our choices really matter. And that the faithfulness and obedience of God's people is part of how God has chosen to work out his purposes in the world. And so this surprising truth should motivate humility and action in God's people as they look forward to God's coming kingdom. And that is the message of the book of Haggai. Don't you wish you could draw that fast? I couldn't draw at all, but it's, 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 it's a great way to sum up. It's a great summation of the message in the book of Haggai. And uh, if you caught in there, uh, if you are really interested in looking more into this, also the uh, Ezra chapters 1 to 6 would be a good place to read um, as that's you know, dealing with the same type thing. So some key points as we start the story this morning. In five, 587 B.C., King Nebuchadnezzar and his army crushed the southern kingdom of Judah, destroying the temple. 
They come in, they destroy the city walls, they destroy the temple, they just crush Judah. Beautiful temple. You know, one, one, someone, some would consider it the, the, one of the ancient wonder, wonders of the ancient world was destroyed along with the, the, the surrounding city. In addition to the utter devastation of Jerusalem, the Jews were taken into captivity where they remained for decades. I mean, you know, they were brought in, taken out of their homes, taken to a strange land where they lived in captivity for decades. They were carried off to Babylonia. Then after decades of living in exile in a foreign land, in 538 B.C., about 50,000 people were allowed to travel back to Jerusalem, the capital of Judah, to rebuild. They were to rebuild the city walls. They were to rebuild the, uh, uh, the temple. They were to rebuild. And this brings us to where we are with the book of Haggai. As a remnant of the people return and they begin to rebuild the temple, they're doing their work, and, and, but as so often happens, they get somewhat into it and the foundation of the temple is laid and all of a sudden they start running into all kinds of opposition. Think people were coming against them. You know, and, and you know, they, they st- where they started out excited, they started out with enthusiasm, they got the foundation of the altar lay and, and the altar uh, built, and, and then suddenly things got hard because people started fighting against them. They ran into opposition, and isn't that usually the way that it goes? You start out strong with something, you've got determination, you've got purpose, and you've got zeal, and you're going full force ahead, and then you hit a wall of opposition. Something stands in your way, and you keep hitting your head against it. You know, in my experience, I've, I've discovered that it, it happens anytime I commit to doing something of real importance. I start to do it, and all of a sudden, boom. Something happens, I hit a wall of opposition. It could be people, it could be circumstances. You know, I, I, I remember I thought, I'm going to start riding my bike to, to the office. I'm going to get in shape and start riding my bike to, off, to, to the office. And then all of a sudden, some things started happening. Get a flat tire, got to get that fixed. Uh, uh, it gets really, this was like poor timing. It, it, it was not this summer, but the summer before, in August. You know, and the humidity. I melt in humidity. You know, talk about opposition. That's what it takes to knock me out is humidity. Uh, you know, that hit me and boom, I was toast. I was done for. I try it again and then the brakes go out on my bike. The, the little bracket, and I get the brakes fixed, but then they go out again because the bracket that holds the brake handle on my old 10-speed that I've had since high school um, did you tell you what kind of bike it is? And, uh, you know, that broke off. So I can't ride it now. And, and so, you know, it happens. Every time I commit to work on something of real importance, there's this opposition that hits. So, you know, that's what happened here. The people succumbed to the opposition, and they stopped working on the temple. They started, to, you know, saying to themselves, well, it must not be time, you know. It must not be God's time to build the temple. We've got to do this other stuff first. It's not time. They started saying that to themselves. And, and you know, I, I want to say something here. Yes, there is a thing of God's timing. God has his timing. And he does things according to his timing. 
But too often we see difficulty and opposition as an indication that God isn't in something or the time must not be right or this must not be really be God's will when the fact is often opposition is an indication that you are in fact doing exactly what God wants you to do when he wants you to do it. It's, it, it's, it's you know, so rather than stopping when we hit opposition, it's time to press ahead. In Haggai 1, 2, it says, This is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say, so the people are saying, they're, they're, they're repeating this. These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. Now, as I said you know, before, when we, whenever you make a commitment something, you can count on that commitment to be tested. You can count on that commitment to be challenged. In fact, a commitment isn't much of a commitment unless it's challenged or until it's challenged. Because if everything is going along easy, then it doesn't take much of a commitment to continue doing what you're doing, right? If things are going easy in an area of your life, it doesn't really take any commitment to keep doing the things you're doing because it's going easy and you're seeing the success and it's like, yeah, this, this is a piece of cake, yeah. Yeah, I'm committed to eating three times a day at least and then maybe some snacks in between. Yeah, I've, I've got a real commitment to that, you know, because it's going easy for me, all too easy sometimes. And, and you know, it's, it's the commitment when it's, when it's tested, that's when it's really commitment think about this whenever you start to move in obedience to god and suddenly you run into a brick wall in the spiritual realm something you're just up against something you're banging your head there's a reason that someone put that brick wall there the last thing the enemy wants is for you and for me to walk in a life of obedience and empowerment in God's presence that God wants us to walk in. The last thing that the enemy wants is for us to be the people that God wants us to be and to walk in the things that God wants us to walk in. He will do whatever he can to keep us from it because the biggest threat to his plan is when the people of God walk in the ways and the will of God. So the enemy will send whatever he can to oppose you, to stop you from doing what God has told you. Now, today, it may, it may or may not be people challenging us. Sometimes people get in our way and people oppose us and challenge us and, and make things difficult to us. But for us. But it can be really any number of things. He can attack us emotionally. He can attack us physically. He can attack us relationally. He can attack, attack us through distractions. And not only can he, but he does. He uses all those things. He will use anything, good or bad, to keep us from doing what God has told us to do. What he tries to do is to make it easier for us to not do God's will than he does for us to do what God has told us. So I want to encourage us this morning is if, if God has given you direction, if he's told you what he wants you to do, said, you know, and, and you just know in your spirit, I know I'm supposed to be doing this. I know I'm supposed to be walking in this direction. I'm knowing this is where I'm supposed to be going. If, if that's true and you find that it's hard, 
and you're facing opposition and doing what he's told you, then I want to encourage you to choose the hard right over the easy wrong. Choose the hard right over the easy wrong. Something, sometimes the right thing to do is simply the hard thing to do. In fact, often it is. The right thing to do is usually not the easy thing to do. But often we take the easy road because the alternative is hard. I want you to think for a moment this morning. I want you to think of something that's been on your heart to do. Something that you've had the sense that you're supposed to be doing. I'm not, I'm not asking you to pick something out of the blue. I'm not asking you to pick something that maybe you just feel guilty that you're not doing I want you to think of something that God has been drawing you to and maybe you've been hesitant because it's been hard. Um, maybe it's something that others have encouraged you to start doing, but you're hesitant about getting started. Maybe it's something that you used to do, used to be a part of your life, and for whatever reason, you're not doing it anymore. You stopped doing. Once you've thought of that, I want you to keep it in mind as we go through the rest of this message this morning. Because I believe there's some of you here that God is speaking to. And he's saying the time is now. The time is now. No more waiting. No more procrastinating or putting it off. The time to act is now. Now, I am the president of the Procrastinators Fan Club. Um, I, I know what that's like. You know, if there's something I don't want to do, I procrastinate with it. But sometimes God steps in and says, no more procrastinating. No more putting it off. The time to act is now. And then let's look at chapter 1, verses 3 to 5. It says, Then the word of the Lord came to through the prophet Haggai. Is it time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while my house... While this house remains a ruin, now the, the, the uh, reference to paneled houses, you know, that means they're, they're, they're getting pretty upscale about their houses. It's a, it, it's a pretty fancy thing uh, that he's referring to. In other words, they're putting a lot of money into their own homes. They're really fixing them up nice. And he says, is it time for you to yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains a ruin? Now, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Take note of that, because he's going to repeat it in just a couple of verses later. The New Living Translation uh, translates it this way. Look at what's happening to you. So give careful thought to your ways. Look at what's happening to you. And then he says this. You've planted much, but harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You put on clothes, but are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. Have you ever felt like that describes your life? Have you? I mean, yeah. I, I, no matter what you do, where you can't seem to make any headway, First one thing goes wrong, then another thing, and you may take two steps forward, but you end up taking three steps back. 
Let me just ask you this, or just throw out a few words. Car trouble, major appliances going out, medical bills. Who hasn't been touched by one of those three things in the last year? Anybody? Seriously. A few months ago, our hot water heater quit working. Okay, it had been there for a while. Probably original with the house. So we had to replace it. <laughs> then in the last four to six weeks, our AC quit working. And it didn't need to be fixed, it needed to be replaced. It was original, it was 20 years old. So we had to replace our AC, we had to replace our furnace to go along with it because it's kind of a package deal. One's as old as the other, one goes out, the other one's about to. Um, while that was being installed, which is right next to the hot water heater, I was told that there's a leak in the wall behind the hot water heater. So not only do I get a new AC and furnace installed, but we have to have the hot water heater torn out, the wall cut into, and the pipes fixed in that wall because that's leaking. Meanwhile, within just a few days of that, I walk into my office and my foot goes squish on the carpet. And if you've seen my office, you know what a mess it is. Not the normal mess, because that I always say, excuse my mess, but I mean the bookcases had to all be emptied and put on a table and the cases pulled out from the wall because there was a pipe that broke inside my office wall. Backs up against the, the, the restroom. So there was a pipe there that broke. So now I've got a big hole in my office wall where the pipe had to be fixed. I mean, I, I'm just like, okay, God, what in the world is going on? And then our, our thank God it's our second car, not our, our, our main car. Thank God we have a second car because whenever, you know, one of the kids' cars breaks down like this weekend, we were, you know, we have something to loan them. But the, you, you know the roof liner, the headliner on the roof? It drops all the way down in the back to the back of the top of the seat. Literally, you get in the car, you can't, you look in the rear view mirror, all you see is that. You know, so that, so I get, you know, I, 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 it's happened, been happening for a while. I go to glue it and, you know, I get some, I cut a slit, get some spray glue, hold it up there. It holds up for a little while, but, you know, half hour later it's down again. So I go, okay. I stretch it out, and I get some duct tape, and I duct tape it to the back. I, I pull it tight, kind of like, kind of like a, a, a give it a facelift, you know, where you pull the skin tight. You know, well, I pulled that thing tight and, and duct taped it to the top of the back window, you know, so that it, you know, would stay up there. And gave it to to David to drive. He calls the car Hoopty. Gave it to David to car to drive while uh, Abby was driving his car because hers was in the shop getting a new alternator. I mean, all uh, stuff, and he brings the car back, and it's hanging down again. He goes, yeah, when I got it in it the next morning, it was, it was down on the seat again. So it's like, oh, God, what in the world is going on? You ever have times like that in your life? You may be going through that right now. I don't know, but, um, <laughs> you know, things like that happen to all of us sometimes, and it's called life. Sometime life goes along, and we get a break. Other times, life goes along, and it's just one thing after another. But what the Jews were experiencing was different. It wasn't just normal life happening. 
I want us to notice something. What Haggai says here, these things that he mentioned are not just random, misfortunate happenings. Like your furnace or your AC decided to quit and then the, you know, the water pipes break and then this. It wasn't just random, misfortunate happenings. You see, when God delivered the Israelites out of Egypt, he established a covenant with them. He says, I am the Lord your God who delivered you from bondage in Egypt. I will be your God, you will be my people. And he established a covenant, and when he did that, he told them how he wanted to order their lives. He told them how he wanted them to live. And he said if they lived according to the established covenant that they agreed to, if they lived according to that, then there were some promises that he made to them, the, the, some, some blessings he, he promised them. But if they did not live according to the covenant, then there would be consequences for not living the way that God told them to live. And these were referred to as the blessings and the curses of uh, the covenant. And um, they're laid out in Deuteronomy chapter 28, if you want to read that, Deuteronomy 28. And he refers to, see, there's a drought going on at this time, and the drought is what's causing the problems that he lists, the problems that they were experiencing. He refers to the drought they're experiencing, causes the problems, and he says, consider your ways. All this stuff is going on, he says. Consider your ways. He did this, or he said this, because drought was one of the curses of violating the terms of the covenant. Where God said, you know, you're free to choose what you want, but if you choose to, to not live according to this covenant that we both agreed on, because they had agreed to it, you, you choose you know, not, then, you know, drought's going to come in and it's going to cause all these problems and all this other stuff is going to happen. In addition to all this, when they were sent back to, when they were allowed to come back to Jerusalem, it was clear they were to rebuild the city and they were to rebuild the temple. And they weren't doing it. They let the work that had started earlier... They let it be stopped by the opposition they faced. Nineteen years later, after they stopped the work, after the opposition won out over them, they still weren't working on the temple. Instead, they were busy building and fixing up their own homes, do, dealing with their own lives, paying attention to their own needs, their own you know, things, and, and, and you know, nice, comfortable lives, and, and, that, and then totally neglecting working on the temple. 19 years later, and they continually suffered drought and poor harvests and just like two steps forward and three steps back. Okay, verse 7. Once again, we read, said, This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. It says, Go up to the mountains and bring down the timber and build my house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. Here's the thing we need to see. I mean, we, for, first of all, we are not under the Old Covenant. We don't look at the Old Testament and, and you know, use that as the, all the rules for our life. They, they, they couldn't do it then. We can't do it now. We are under a new covenant with Jesus. But there's so many things in there, principles in that, that still apply that we can learn from. And here's the thing that we need to see here. 
They stopped the work because it was hard. You run into opposition, it gets hard. They gave into it. And for 19 years, instead of doing what they were sent there to do, they focused on their own personal lives and building their own homes, building their own families, building their own lives, getting things, every, everything in place there and ignored the house of God, ignored building the temple. I mean, it got hard. Let's face it, it's hard going against opposition. And it doesn't matter whether the opposition is in the form of people or in the form of life circumstances. Often people or circumstances, you know, make it hard to continue doing something that we started out to do with all purpose, all great intentions, all zeal. Hard to do the right thing. But look what God does. He challenges them. He challenges them. He said, okay, look at your lives. Consider your ways. And reminds them of the covenant that they have with him. He encourages them to get back to doing what they started to do all those years ago. He even gives them simple instructions on how to get back on track. He says, go up to the mountain. Bring down the timber. Build my house. He says, you want to get back on track? You want to see the the uh, uh, the, the 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 curse of the uh, of the covenant lifted? He said, "Go up to the mountain, bring down the timber, build my house." Simple instructions, but it's still hard. It's still hard. Going up and bringing down the timber, it's hard work. When I sixty nine was being built. Many of you know that it, it, uh, it, it took our house. We lived, used to live right off of, of I-16, of uh, 37, and, and the state came and took our house, and, and that we moved. But before they took our house, I, I watched because along 37 there, I watched them clear the trees. Did anybody see them clear the trees? I don't mean just the trees laying on the ground. I mean, did you see the process of clearing the trees? These big, huge machines came in. And they would, they would like cut off a bunch of the branches and then this big, huge machine would come in and would grab this tree at the top like this, the trunk. And I mean trees that were like this, this big, okay? Grabbed them at the top. And then this other thing, part of the same machine, came along. It was a huge circular saw came in at the bottom, and while the, while the machine, I've never seen anything like this before, while the machine was holding the top of the tree, this saw came in and sliced off the bottom, and then it took and, and picked this thing up and laid it down. You ever, anybody ever watched that happen? It's incredible. It's incredible. We're not talking about that. We're talking about hand tools. Going up to the mountain, cutting those trees down, trimming them out, and hauling those logs down without the, you know, heavy trucks or anything to haul them. It was hard, but it's what they had to do to finish the temple. But you know what the hardest part was, I think? I don't think the hardest part was going up to the mountain. I don't think the hardest part was cutting and hauling down the timber. 
I don't think the hardest part was building the temple. I think the hardest part was after 19 years of just the comfort of their lives, living in their nice paneled houses, TV with the kids, movie night every week. I think the hardest part was getting up and getting moving again. Because they'd become comfortable in their own routines, tending to their own lives. And God was saying, this thing that you were doing before, you need to get back and put me first and do this again. We've got a video I want you to watch. Jesus, I am so excited today. It's like I woke up and thought, today is the day to get working for Jesus. Kat, I am so excited to find someone who's ready to take action and get things done. Oh, man, I am that girl. Exactly. Yeah. Now, I've got something perfect for you, so let's get started. Okay. What are you doing? Uh, stand up. Remember, we were going to take action. Yeah, but this is where I always sit. Right, but I need more than this. Oh, I know what you're getting at. Okay, Jesus, how much do you want? What? $50, is that enough? Oh, uh, that's not what I meant. Oh, uh, all right, well, 100 then, you know. You drive a hard bargain. <laughs> okay, um, but um, you might not want to cash this till next Friday, you know what I'm saying? Right. There you go. <laughs> okay, okay, Kat, really, I, I do think it's great that you want to give, but I want you to mentor a younger woman. Ooh, yeah, right. Well, Jesus, you know, I'm not really into, like, teaching people and stuff. I mean, I'm not, I don't really get into that. Okay, um, okay, you, you know that woman at the office, Amy? Yeah. I want you to take her out to lunch. Tell her about me. Um, well, Amy is different. I mean, like, really different, you know? I know, but she needs to know about me. Mm, and I can tell the people at the church to call her. I mean, they get paid to do things like that. I want you to do that. Jesus, I just don't feel comfortable doing that. <laughs> no, Kat, the problem is you're too comfortable. <laughs> Ouch. Ouch. Let's give careful thought to our ways. As we've said, sometimes our lives aren't going the way we thought they would, and it's just because life is happening, and sometimes life is hard. But there's other times, times when our lives aren't going the way that we would want, and it's because we're neglecting God. we need to give careful thought to our ways because we're not doing the things we should. If we're not doing the things we should, whether it be in our relationships, whether it be in our jobs, whether it be in our spiritual lives, any area, sometimes we get busy with our own lives and we get comfortable with our routines 
and the things that we should be doing get pushed to the side. We're busy building our own paneled houses and neglecting what God has said. We don't mean for it to happen. We don't mean for it to happen. It just happens. Let me just ask, because this isn't, you know, this isn't for, 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 for everyone, but I think every one of us would do well to just ask God and say, okay, Lord, is there something that I should be doing that you've already spoken to me about that I'm not? Ask ourselves if there's something that we used to be doing and life happened and we're no longer doing it, but the Lord's been speaking to us about getting started again. And maybe, maybe we're wondering, but how? The way you get it started is simply to quit talking and to start doing. The time is now. And again, I do not hear me as saying you all need to be doing more stuff. That is not what I'm saying. Some of you are, are you know, you're, you're building your spiritual lives. You're, you're doing the things that God wants you to do. You're, you're serving where he wants you to serve. And you're, you know, you're thriving in your, in your quiet time and, you know, and, and, and studying the word and, and that. But sometimes we need to just back up a little bit and say, okay, God, is there something that I'm supposed to be doing and for whatever reason it's gotten pushed to the side and I'm not doing it anymore? Is there something that you've been speaking me to, to me about and I know you've been speaking, but I've been closing my ears and pretending not to hear? That's what I'm talking about. That's what I'm, what I'm speaking about this morning. The time is now. No more waiting. No more putting it off. When it comes to our spiritual lives, no more, well, maybe next week or maybe next month or maybe when things slow down a little bit. Let me tell you something. I've been waiting for, for 30, 40 years for things to slow down. They never do. They never do. We have to take hold of the opportunities that are in front of us. And it may just be in small things. It may be, you know, I used to have a regular time with Jesus. I used to have a regular quiet time, but now my quiet time is maybe once in a while, Sunday morning at church, and then it's not quiet because that guy up front keeps babbling on. I don't know. Somebody will get that on the way home. Um, the whole thing with this passage in, in Haggai is that the people were spending more attention to just their own lives going on and totally neglecting the things of God. And that's what God says. The time is now. No more.
it's time to get serious about God. Let's have the worship team come up.